I am glad that you are here today. Um, I was concerned and I trusted that the Lord would bring the right people here today for today. Um, and so I am glad that you're here. Um, in preparation for today, I have spent time praying, I have spent time weeping, I have spent time seeking the power of the Holy Spirit, and I want to spend just a moment doing that again. Would you join with me in praying for the Holy Spirit to move during this time? Holy Spirit, we need you. And Father, if this is an endeavor that is all us, Lord, we know what the value will be in it. And yet, if this is you, which I believe it is, I've had confirmation and confirmation and confirmation, then Lord, I know that you will take what is said during this time together and make it so much more. So God, blow this thing up. We thank you for it. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Um, today we're beginning uh, a series that I believe is the most important series that I've preached here at Praise Assembly. I think I say that every series that I do, um, but that's because every time it is, and it just keeps getting better and better. Amen? Uh, as part of that, today we're kicking off um, just a time talking about our vision and our values at Praise. And as part of that, you might wonder, okay, so what is vision and values in relation to purpose and mission, right? Like, are those just a bunch of buzzwords that we throw around um, and, and they have no real meaning. Well, no, they do have meaning. So our mission at Praise Assembly never changes. It is why we were made. It's why our name is Praise, and that is declaring the glory of our great God by all means. That never changes, never shifts. It's always that. And then we have purposes as a church, which are established for us in our constitution and bylaws, and those remain the same. They are honoring the Spirit, pursuing true worship, building community, and advancing the kingdom. But then vision is how we see ourselves in the present and into the future, accomplishing those things that we have been called to accomplish. And our values are the rails that we hold on to while we are seeking to accomplish those purposes. Here's what I mean by that. If our mission is to declare the glory of our great God by all means then truly I should hand out blowhorns to each and every one of us and we should stand in our various neighborhoods on top of a soapbox and talk about how great our God is all day long and night long all the time, right? Because that's our, that's our mission. That, and, and if we're going to do that, there's a specific way we want to do that. And our values help us to kind of guide us to make sure that we're accomplishing those purposes, working towards that mission in the right manner. And our values are something that I believe should be a, a corporate heartbeat, right, for this church. I believe it should be something that is white hot within us. And so that's really what we're going through today. We're going to be talking about what we see immediately in front of us, where God is taking us, where we believe God is taking us. And then we want to talk about the manner in which, the motivation for how we feel we need to get there, okay? Um, and as part of that, I need to mention something really quick. And that is this. Um, these things aren't polished yet. They aren't yet pithy and poignant statements. These are things that we are processing through as a church. And I, what I'm going to be bringing up today is really the heart's cry that God has put in me and I believe in our staff and, and I believe it's supposed to work its way into this congregation. And so that's really what we're doing today. If there was something that I could describe what this series is about, if the Lord willed it, then what I would see happening over the next weeks is that I would rend my heart and bleed out before you. And you would see what my heart's cry is, and you would understand, okay, so here is the pastor. And this is what his heart is. And this is what I believe the Lord's heart is, too. So that's what's happening here. So don't expect it to be all polished. I mean, even, even when we put vision and values, it's, it's white on blue, okay? This isn't prettied up yet, and, and we're not getting there yet. We'll get there. There's more work to be done, but I want you to hear our hearts 
as we move towards these things. Some of these things you'll hear some repetition in because the God has been doing these things in us and we're gathering them up. We're pulling the strings together that the Lord has been working in us. And it's important that we, we do that and, and say, okay, so this is what this needs to look like. It doesn't mean we've got these things nailed. A lot of them are aspirational. We're aspiring to them. And it may not be our heartbeat yet, but I pray that it would. Okay? So that's what we're doing today. If you would grab your Bibles, once you have your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, there's some that are spread out throughout the seats. Um, if you don't own a Bible, uh, that Bible's our gift to you. But once you have your Bibles, if you would grab them, open them up to Romans chapter 13 today. If you have one of the church Bibles, we're going to be on page 948. Okay, Romans chapter 13, page 948 in the church Bibles. While you're turning there, let me give you really quickly what happens from Romans 1 through Romans 13 in 10 seconds. Romans 1 through 11 is essentially what Jesus Christ accomplished for us in his salvation and what our response needs to be to that. Romans 12 is then how he is currently working inside of us, transforming us. Romans 13 up to verse 8 is how that should look for us in our society. And so right before this, you see uh, submit to the governing authorities, um, and you see pay your taxes, what that should look like. We're going to pick up in Romans chapter 13, verse 8 this morning. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Here's what it says. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Owe no one anything. Some people interpret this to mean that you should never, ever, 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 ever take out debt. Which is not what it's saying. And scripture is very clear that we should be incredibly cautious about ever taking out debt. What this is saying is if you do take out debt, pay it off. This is saying if you do take out debt, Make sure that you make your payments on it. If you say, I'm signing on the bottom line, I owe money, then you pay it off. And in the NIV, it actually says, remain, let no debt remain outstanding. So if you take out the debt, you pay it off. Right before this, it says very clearly in verse 7, this won't be up on the screens, pay to all what is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. If you're not paying your mortgage, you are not a good testimony for Jesus Christ. That's what this verse is saying. So if you take out debt, pay it off. It says, owe no one anything except to love each other. The literal is love others. And in the NIV again, and I think the NIV captures better the continual nature of it, but it says, accept the continuing debt to love one another. And here we need to pause really quickly. Because this verse, I think, is monumental for us. And it's important that we get this right and know what this is supposed to look like. Because if we get it wrong, accept to love each other. If we get that wrong... What will happen is we will have a wrong view of what our relationship to God is supposed to look like and we'll have a wrong view of what our relationship to other people is supposed to look like. Here's what I mean by this. If you haven't learned this about me by now, I hope you do right now. I am not a fan of what is known as the debtor ethic. The debtor ethic. D-E-B-T-O-R ethic. The debtor ethic is this. Jesus Christ's sacrifice was so great for me that I now spend the rest of my life in repayment to him. That the reason why I worship him is as a repayment for his great and incredible sacrifice for me. I owe a debt to him. That is called the debtor ethic, and it is incredibly caustic. And this might just sound like semantics. It might just sound like um, uh, uh, just words. But there's, it's really important that we get this right in our minds. Because if we get it wrong, then we approach God in the wrong way. We approach people in the wrong way. So if we approach God as if we are indebted to him for his great salvation that he has poured out on us, then what happens is two things. Number one, 
we cheapen his sacrifice. We cheapen his sacrifice. Because if I think that by my actions, I might somehow in this life be able to repay Jesus Christ for his infinite sacrifice for my sins, then I take this infinite sacrifice and I monetize it. Here's what this looks like. Say you have a 13-year-old daughter. I am so sorry. But say you have a 13-year-old daughter. Just pretend with me if you don't. And if you know what it's like to have a 13-year-old daughter, say you have a 13-year-old daughter. Say you love your 13-year-old daughter. Now that might be a stretch. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. And you love her so much, and you recognize that soon she will not be a 13-year-old daughter. She will be a 16-year-old young woman. And you recognize that when she's 16, she's going to need to drive because she'll be getting her driver's license. And so you love her so much that you decide, here's what I need to do. I need to start saving in order to get her a car. In order that she might be able to drive. But you got no money. So you decide to work on top of what you would normally work. So instead of working 40 hours, you're putting in 60 hours and 70 hours and 80 hours a week. But instead of it being something that's begrudging for you, it's not something that you're doing because you have to. It's something that you're doing because you love her and you want this for her. So you take a picture of what that car might be. You draw a bow on it. And every day when you go and you work beyond the normal hours, instead of being, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this again, you are looking at that image and you are keeping that ever in front of you as you're making that continual sacrifice. So you've drawn that bow on it and every day you look at it and you say, that's what I'm working towards. For three years you do that, let's say. And after three years, the day finally comes. And you pull that car into the garage and you get a bow just like you had drawn on it. And you tell her, come on out. Come see your, your birthday gift. She comes out and she opens her eyes and she sees the car with the bow on top. And, and it's this incredible moment of this incredible gift of incredible sacrifice on your end. Say she looks at it. She looks at you, she reaches in her pocket, pulls out a snotty handkerchief. Without cracking a smile, she hands it over to you and says, paid. Gets in the car and drives away. That's what we do when we try to repay God for Jesus Christ's sacrifice. Because Paul said, all our works are nothing but soiled rags. And sometimes we try to earn it in advance. And sometimes we try to earn it after the fact. But if we see it as a debt to be paid and work towards that and worship towards that, it completely changes it. It becomes a mortgage payment. Right? Isn't that what it is? You're not earning it beforehand, you're earning it after the fact. It's a mortgage payment. And, and that's the second thing that it does, is it completely strips out all joy for how we live our lives. Right? Because I've got a mortgage payment, and the reason why I pay my mortgage payment is because a long time ago, I signed on the dotted line and said that I would pay my mortgage payment. And as soon as I signed that mortgage payment, first mortgage I ever had, I'm like, I can't believe I just spent that much money. That company sold it to another company, which sold it to another company, which sold it to another company, and I think eventually Wells Fargo had it. And then a year later, they sold it to Bank of America. Before I know it, it's all over the place. But whoever it is that owns the mortgage, that's who I owe it to, and so I write that check out. But every time I write that check, I don't do it with joy. I do it because I'm obligated to do it. And so I send that check in and I'm not rejoicing as I'm sending the check in for my mortgage. I know that's what I'm supposed to do and so I do it. 
And if we turn our relationship and our faith and our living our faith into a mortgage payment, we strip out all joy because all we're doing is, is we're fulfilling our obligations. So if you have no joy in your faith, I, I would encourage you to slow down and to ask some questions about how you see your faith. Because if you see it as a mortgage payment, there will be no joy. So this verse, though, seems to say that we are indebted in love to those around us. Well, we need to ask some questions about that because how did we become indebted to, in love to those around us? What does that debt look like? And, and if we don't even know how we became indebted, there's a problem. <laughs> but we need to make sure we have this right because have you ever been in a relationship that's like that? I've talked about this before. Have you ever been in a relationship where somebody takes you out to eat and your immediate reaction is, Okay, um, next time i got to take them out to eat. They pay for the bill the first time, so then you feel like the next time i got to get the bill. It's called the transactional relationship. There's no grace there. You pay one time, I pay the next time, I pay this time, you pay the next time. It's transactional. And when you do that, you strip out and pull all joy out of it. And more than that, it's incredibly tiring Right? You've got to keep emotional and mental spreadsheets and scorecards and ledgers. One mark on one side, next mark on the other side. It's an incredibly tiring and, and just completely draining experience. That is not what our relationship should look like. So we need to make sure that we are doing this in the right way. So we need to ask some questions of this because it says that we have a continuing debt to love each other. And so we need to know what that debt looks like. In order to jump and see that, we need to jump to a couple of verses. So if you would grab your Bibles again, switch over to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. We need to know where are we indebted? Is this a debtor ethic? Did God just sell our mortgage to someone else, right? Did he take our, our, our debt to him and say now it belongs to other people? And so we pay our debt to him by loving other people. Is that what this is saying? And we need to make sure that we understand what it's saying so that we know how we approach this because it's hugely important. Verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4, here's what it says. In this... The love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loves us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Now, the first time you read this, you might think, okay, so this sure sounds like the debtor ethic to me, right? Read that verse, uh, verse uh, 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That word ought the exact same word that is over in Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Ought is, imagine somebody from the deep south saying, owe it. Ought. I ought. I don't know. But that word is essentially saying, we owe it. We owe this. In fact, it probably goes back to Middle English and the idea of owe it became ought. Really, truly, that's probably where that came from. But most of the times in the New Testament where you see this word owe it or ought, that's actually where it comes from, that same word that's in Romans 13, verse 8. And here he says this, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also owe it to love one another. Now, wait a second. That sure sounds like the debtor ethic to me. As if God loves us, now we just owe that love to other people. But read the next verse. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, then God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What is this saying? That God and his love are abiding in us. So what is this? This is going right back to where we were. The series Inside Out right? God does this inside of our hearts. 
And then he is working both to will and to work according to his good pleasure inside of us. And then our responsibility is to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We work out what he has worked in. That's what this is saying. And, he, and just read, how many times does it say the word abide after this? Verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected so, with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. How much more do we need to read? This is all about God and his love abiding in us. And then that love, as it abides in us, it is taking control of our hearts. It is doing something inside of us. And then our responsibility is to work out what he has worked in. So if you do not love your neighbors... Go back to John chapter 15 and meditate on it again. What does it look like to plug into the vine and abide in Jesus Christ? Do it again. Read it again. Read it again. Read it again. Because this is what God does in us. Even flip over, you'll see this all through. Romans chapter 5 verse 3. Romans chapter 5 verse 3. Here it says almost the same thing. Here's what it says. Romans 5 3 it says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This is not about us having a debt to someone else. This is about us having a debt to the love that is inside our own hearts. The Holy Spirit is putting this inside of us, and then we owe a debt to what is happening inside of us. Another verse, which is not up on the screens. You're just going to have to flip there. One page to the right, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Here's what it says. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Well, wait a second, Alan. I thought we weren't debtors. Yeah, no, we're debtors. But here's who we're debtors to. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So wait, if it's not to the flesh, who is it to? Go back one verse, verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. What is this saying? That the Holy Spirit is inside of us, working love inside of our hearts. Our debt then is to our own hearts and the love that is inside of us. So hear that, because that's hugely important. Because we're not just in debt as if God transferred our mortgage to somebody else. We are in debt to what God has done in our own hearts. He has worked in us to, to, to will and to work according to his good pleasure. Now we are in debt to that which is happening inside of our hearts to work out what he has worked in. That is the debt. He says it's not to the flesh inside of us, but it's the work of the spirit inside of us that we are in debt to. So 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, I come back to it again because it's such a good verse. The aim of our charge is love. What kind of love? Love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This is something that has happened inside of us and then we work it outwards. So we are indebted to the love inside of our own hearts to love others. That's what this verse is saying. So back to 13, verse 8. It says, uh, 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except the continuing debt to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. 
How does it fulfill the law? Well, it's Jeremiah 31, 33. No longer is it something that we're conforming to outside of ourselves. No longer is it just an outward action. Now it is the result of what he has done on our hearts that we are living outwards. If it wasn't that, it would be he replaced the law with love. Right? He just changed the name of it. Now we're obligated to him instead of the law. But he doesn't. He gives us love which fulfills. It fills it and it makes it full. It's, it's, if you do this, then the law is met. We don't have to worry about the law because it's coming from inside our own hearts because God has done something inside of us. Okay? So here is what I think one of our core values as a church is. The best work always moves outwards. It starts on the inside and moves outwards. There have only been a few times when I have found myself disappointed with this church. And one of them were several years ago. Because at the time, we had an opportunity to serve some of our neighbors and friends who were Congolese refugees. And I stood up on stage and I asked this church if someone would be willing to drive a van one time a week or every other week. And I had no response. It was crickets. So I asked again the next week, no response, crickets. And I was disappointed. And I'm so thankful that you all are so incredibly patient with me as a pastor. Because the problem was not with the church. The problem was with me. Because what I asked for was the work of our hands. That is not where I should have started. I should have pursued your hearts. That's what God does. He pursues hearts. He's not looking for skim-deep meeting obligations. He is looking for hearts. And then as he works in our hearts, that is worked outwards. So I went about the whole thing wrong. And it's not until now that I see it. Because we've started multiple programs over the last four years, and some more effective than others. But over and over and over again, I ask for action when I should be pursuing hearts. And I get it now. This is how God works, and it's how we should work too, because the best stuff happens from the inside out. If we were to just do skin deep or just work with our hands, then what will happen is sooner or later it's going to get tough and we'll get burned out. You cannot pour out what you do not already have. It begins here. So we cannot love those who are around us if we do not have it here. And this is what God does in us. Our debt is not a skin-deep debt to those around us. It's a debt to our own hearts because God is working in us to love. So I will spend myself in pursuit of your hearts because that's the pattern that Jesus Christ lays down. The best stuff happens from the inside out. Convinced of this fact. And that fulfills the law. Keep reading. He says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Fulfilling of the law, not replacement, 
not changing the name of the law. It's the fulfilling of the law. And so Paul mentions here, he mentions the seventh commandment, then he mentions the sixth commandment, then he mentions the eighth commandment, then he mentions the tenth commandment, which may seem all out of order. But the reason why he does that is this is, he's quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is, that's the order that it's in. But each of those commandments are in the negative. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. You shall not murder. And he says then, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. So just in the same way that he quotes these commandments in a negative sense, he then gives this command in a negative sense. He says, you shall do no wrong. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. And and let me be clear that love is so much more than just not doing wrong. Right? It's so much more than that but it is absolutely never any less. He says, love fulfills the law, right? And I got to point out one other thing here just really quickly because I want to just correct something in our brains again. I I feel like it's super necessary because I've heard people use that, love your neighbor as yourself, as if Jesus is saying to us, what this means then is that you better love yourself, Right? If you love yourself, then you'll better be able to love your neighbors. And, and normally what that's talking about is self-esteem. And, and that may be right, that may be true, but that is not what Jesus is saying. Because Jesus is assuming here, and Paul is assuming here, that we already love ourselves. He is assuming, and what he means by this is, What do you pursue for yourself? You pursue your own satisfaction. You pursue those things that you think will meet your needs. Now, there's a bunch of different ways that we go about it, and some of them might be self-destructive, but really that's what we're looking for. And in the same way that we might do that for ourselves, do that for those around you. So if you might seek satisfaction for yourself, seek satisfaction for your neighbor. If you might seek salvation for yourself, seek salvation for your neighbor. He says, what would you seek for yourself? Seek that for those around you. This has nothing to do with self-concept. It's a misapplication of it to say it does. What is the source of this love? It's not love for myself. It's God's love for me. (laughs) It is what he has done in my heart. So don't misapply it. Okay? So what does this look like for us? Romans 13.8. Through 10. And why am I bringing it up today? It's a really good question. There's a couple things. Number one, God has put praise assembly where he has put praise assembly for a reason. He wants us where we are In the same way that the best work happens outwards, he wants us to change where we are and to affect those who are immediately around us. Okay? Where has praise been placed by God? Well, he placed us right on this northeast corner of Springfield. The boundary of Springfield is the boundary of our property. We are right against the edge, northeast corner of Springfield. Why has he put us here? Well, he has put us here to impact the northeast corner of Springfield. He has called us to other things as well, but he has called us to impact this northeast corner. Now, I want to mention a few things about this northeast corner of Springfield, and you may not be in agreement with all of them, but let me just mention them. I don't know if you've noticed, but this northeast corner is not growing as much as other areas are. O'Reilly's Hospitality is buying up certain pieces of property just south of us. They put in the hotel and the Macadoodles and the um, Tropical Smoothly. And then they are the ones who bought Kmart and are putting in some sort of driving range there. But in general, this northeast corner is not growing like the southwest corner. It's not growing like Willard. In fact, just two weeks ago... There was a news release about Rogersville. I don't know if you've heard this. But there will be an investment of about $100 million in Rogersville in the next years over houses and single-family homes and shopping centers and 
Rogersville is growing. And yet this northeast corner does not see that kind of development. We might see a home built here or there, but in general, we're not seeing that kind of investment. And I wonder why is that? Because we're so close to I-44. You from here can quickly jump onto I-44 and hit 65 and be anywhere in Springfield within 20, 25 minutes. So why is this northeast corner not growing at all? I think there's a lot of reasons. And let me mention one of them, and I, I don't want to offend, but let me mention one. I believe, because I've spent some time praying and thinking about this, why is this northeast corner not growing? I believe that a part of it, at least, is the schools. Specifically, Hillcrest High School. Now, I don't mean to offend, but the perception of Hillcrest High School in the last several decades has changed significantly. Two decades ago, Hillcrest was on the front edge. Now it is perceived as lagging way, way, way behind. How we got there, I can't speak to. But the perception, at least, is that way. I ask people, would you ever move into this northeast corner? And they tell me, I don't know. Hillcrest. In fact, Liz and I, when we were looking to buy a house, we looked all over the place. We thought about Willard, we thought about Stratford because the school's incredible, Nixa, Ozark. We ended up buying in Hillcrest. And can I just say, it almost kept us from buying in Hillcrest. My daughter will be at Hillcrest within six years. And just to be transparent, I do not look forward to that. Now, if we were just looking out for ourselves, if I were just looking out for myself, my family, my daughter, what should I be doing? I should be in Hillcrest every single day changing it from the inside out. If Praise Assembly was just thinking about Praise Assembly, just concerned with ourselves, let's build this church, let's get bigger, would we not want to see this northeast corner take off? Would we not want to change this northeast corner? And affect it for good in order that there might be more development, in order that praise might grow. If we were just concerned for ourselves, would that not be the case? We should want to change this northeast corner for good, for our own sake. But if I would do that for Hillcrest for my daughter... Why do I not want to do that for others? And if we would do that for the northeast corner for our own sake, why would we not want to do that for others? What we might seek for ourselves, let us do that for the sake of others. Love others as yourself. Now you may not be from the northeast corner. A lot of us are from Again, Willard and Ozark and Stratford and, and, and uh, Fairgrove and Nixa. I mean, you're, we're all from all over the place. And we should all be asking this question of what, how do we affect from the inside out right where God has put us. But he has put this church here. Which means that regardless of where we're from, our hearts should be burdened for this area. Oh, that our hearts would cry out for those who are comfortably living close to us, yet far from Christ. But I would rather take three years and pursue every one of our hearts than jump in and just get our hands dirty. Because it's going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. And if we do not have it here, we'll burn out here.
So we got to start here. It has to be something that is from the heart debt of love for those around us. And this passage says, Owe no one anything. Praise Assembly currently owes just over $100,000 on our mortgage. It's the only money we owe. And it's for this facility that you are sitting in right now. The payment is about $14,000 a month. I am convinced of the fact that we need to pay that off and pay it off quickly. And let me be clear on why I feel like we need to do that. It's not just to buy ourselves a few months of no payments. It is in order that we might better be able to service our heart debt of love to our community. $14,000 a month stands in the way. And let me be clear on this. I believe that we stand at a very important time in the history of Praise Assembly. And how we go about this paying off will say a great deal about where our hearts are. And in fact, Jesus was really clear, where your treasure is, there also is your heart, right? And how we go through this process will speak to what we do next. Which is why I don't just want to ride the thing out, but I want to pay it off and I want to pay it off quickly. In fact, I want to pay it off by this summer. I want to pay it off on June 3rd. That's the date. And that means that we're going to take up four offerings in between now and then. We'll take up one. I wanted to preach this sermon three weeks ago, but the Holy Spirit said you need to fast and pray first because you are at a key moment in the history of Praise Assembly. And I'm convinced of the fact that that's true. This isn't just about paying it off. This is about the manner in which we live and our heart and where our heart is and what our passion is for and what we care about and what we love and how we love and what is the motivation for that. It has to begin here. This is what this is about. But what it looks like is for offerings, above and beyond tithe and offering. This isn't just about moving money from one place to another. But four offerings, March 3rd, April 7th, May 5th, and June 2nd. So two weeks from now will be the very first offering. And I'm just going to ask because I trusted the Holy Spirit and I said, all right, we'll hold off on pushing this and, and bringing this before the congregation, but I'm just going to trust you with that. And so I only have two weeks now until this first one. But if we can raise $50,000 by June 2nd, that mortgage is gone. And if we do that, we'll celebrate on June 30th with a mortgage-burning celebration. I've already talked to Pastor Burris and Pastor Fent about it. They're both in. They're on board. They love the idea. And they'll be here. Okay? So... June 2nd will be the last Sunday of that. June 3rd, I want to sign that check to say, done. And if we do that, then the very next payment, which would be July, we will invest in Pleasant View Middle School. Why? Because it's not just about paying off our debt, friends. It's about the fact that we have a continuing debt to the love within us for those around us to change them. That's what this is about. So I would just ask that you would pray. Seek the Holy Spirit. And, and let me be clear that I will lead the way on the giving. Okay? Because I feel this. And that's what it's about. I want you to feel it too. I want just as my heart is crying out for this, that your hearts would cry out for it too. This is inhibiting us. And we need to get it out of the way. And for some of us, we're like, oh, pay off the mortgage. I'm there. I want you to be there beyond the mortgage. 
I want you to have a heart that is for our community and for the schools so that in the same way I might do it for my daughter, I would do it for the people who are in those schools now. Because I love myself. I want to love them. God has done this in me. I pray with everything inside of me he would do it in you too. And that your heart would be for it. So pray. Because I believe the Holy Spirit will speak to you about that. Okay? One final thing I want to mention. April 2nd. April 2nd is a significant vote. Okay? And I don't know if you've heard anything about it. It's Prop S. Proposition S. Proposition S will cost you money. It'll cost you about 35-ish. If you're in the Springfield Public School District, it'll cost you about 35-ish dollars per year for every $100,000 that your house is worth. (coughs) I'm going to ask you as the pastor of praise to vote for it. And here's why. Because if it passes, there will be an investment of $24 million into Hillcrest High School. Okay? It'll cost you something. I'm good with that. (laughs) I'm voting for it in spite of the fact that it'll cost me something. And I'm asking you to vote for it too because Hillcrest High School needs a $24 million investment. If for nothing else than selfish reasons, if Hillcrest High School becomes the leading school in Springfield Public Schools, this area will grow. Praise Assembly will grow. If we would do it for selfish reasons, should we not do it for those who are there right now? That's what this verse says. Oh, no one anything except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. So I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to participate. And I'm asking your heart to break for this community. And I would gladly pursue your heart for years for that. Would you stand with me today? If you're here and you're not a part of praise or if you've not been here for very long, this isn't a typical sermon for us, but this is something that the Lord has been doing in my own heart. And I believe the reason why he's doing it in our, my heart is because he wants to do it in this church and in all of our hearts. But it has to begin here. It has to begin here. Because Jesus did not come to consolidate our debts. He is not a loan shark consolidator who took all of our sins and says, now it's owed to me. <laughs> it's not how he works. And he's not the type of God who then buys up debt and sells it to somebody else. It's not how he works. He paid the debt and it's gone. It's gone. It is no more. Right? But then on top of that, he works in our own hearts. He doesn't want us to continue to just conform. He wants to transform. And it's a beautiful thing that he does. He says, I don't want you to just meet the letter of the law that's outside of you. I'm going to give you the desires in your own heart if you abide in me. Remember, abiding in him. Abide, abide, abide. If we abide in him, he's working inside of us, and then we work that out. But he's doing it here because the best work moves outwards. Convinced of that fact. Oh, may our hearts break. Oh, may our hearts break. But also, if you've had an incorrect view of God, my prayer is for you that here you would get this right and recognize it's gone. The sacrifice is complete. It's total. The gift is ours. While I might not have joy paying my mortgage, when someone gives me a gift, doesn't want me to repay it, my heart soars with joyful gratitude. That is what he has for us. 
joyful gratitude. That's what he asks. So today, that's the offer. Sacrifice for sins that does not need to be repaid, but is ours in Christ Jesus by faith in him. So if you're in here and you've never accepted that sacrifice, if you never prayed and said, Jesus Christ, you are Lord of my life, today you have an opportunity to do that. The debt is paid. Will you accept it? That's the offer. As I pray, I want to invite you to pray along with me. And I'm going to confess Jesus Christ as the Lord of my own life. When I do that, I'd ask you to do the same. Jesus, I thank you that you're not a loan shark. I thank you that you are not a debt consolidator. I thank you that you are not a mortgage packer sending it off to someone else. But you are a God who died for my sins. Sacrifice is total and complete. Infinitely beyond what I could ever pay for or earn on my own, either beforehand or after. I just can't do it. So Father, right now, I just pray, be Lord of my life today, I pray. For every person who's in here who maybe for the very first time would declare you as Lord of their life, we know that if we declare you as Lord, if we speak with our mouths that you are Lord, if we believe in our hearts that you've been raised from the dead, then we will be saved. Oh God, it's ours. The sacrifice is ours. The debt is paid and it's gone. And oh God, our lives then are the result of your work inside of us. We live from a place of wholeness in our own hearts, a work that you are doing daily by the power of your Spirit inside of me. It's not skin deep. It starts on the inside and works its way outward. Oh God, may we grasp that. And may we have joy as a result. You change us, oh God. And we live in that wholeness. Oh God, break our hearts for those who are close to us yet far from you. Those that you have put immediately around us. Break our hearts, oh God. Start there, oh God. We don't need another program. We need hearts that are broken for our neighbors. Do that in me. Incline my heart towards them, O oh God, I pray. And may that be for all of us, O oh God. Pursue our hearts today. Pursue our hearts today. Thank you for it. In the name of Jesus.